America America You are so grand and golden Oh, I wish I was deep in America tonight Welcome back, America, for an extra special episode of The Multiverse. Today you're about to hear what we like to call Up Close and Personal, a special episode where we feature less edited, more candid material from some of the most fascinating characters we interviewed during the current season. See, some of the topics that came up in our interviews were just too diverse to fit into the more topically oriented episodes, but still too good not to share. And in the spirit of sharing more stories in real people's voices, today we bring you an up-close-and-personal edition of The Multiverse with Lauren Wilson-Carter. A D.C. political insider who talks race, dress codes, childhood, and what it's like to live as a Black American within tribes that are predominantly white. Um, I wrote about it on, on Medium this week, but um, from fourth or sixth grade, I went to a um, private uh a private elementary school called Village School in Pacific Palisades. My family elected to send me to an independent school because they wanted to guarantee that I would have a good education. So um, they sent me to this school. Uh, I got a scholarship to go there, if I remember correctly. But I, the catch was I was the only black child at the school. And not only was I the only black child, I was the first black student to ever go to the school. My mother sat me down before I started going to the school and she told me, you know, you're going to go to the school and there are going to be kids who have a whole lot more than you. They just have more money than you. They just have more than you. And it doesn't mean that you aren't worthy. It doesn't mean that you, that they're better than you or that they're smarter than you. It just is the way it is. So already I knew, you know, I was going to be different in more ways than one. Um, Pacific Palisades is very wealthy. There was a market in Pacific Palisades called Gelson's. I have never seen Gelson's outside of Pacific Palisades before. It was the first time I had ever seen it. I was nine, eight or nine, when I started going to the school. And for some reason, I thought that black people weren't allowed in Gelson's. And I thought that because we didn't have no Gelson's <laughs> uh, where I live. So already I knew, like, this was a place I had never been before. <laughs> um, I am a, like I said, I'm a digital strategist um, and by, by day, writer by night. I help people learn how to write and speak on the internet in a way that's smart and fun, um, but action-oriented. A lot of people use the word bubbly when they meet me, they say, oh, you're so bubbly. Um, How does that make you feel? It makes me feel good, but I also feel like I hope I'm allowed to be angry. I hope I'm allowed to not feel like being entertaining. You know what I mean? I hope that they know that I don't feel like being the cool black girl all the time. Okay, and it seems like from the outside anyway that at least to me, when I come into D.C., it's almost like there's just a bunch of Ann Taylor bots walking around. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah, and, like, I wouldn't 
If I was walking down the street and saw you walking down the street, I wouldn't think that about you. (laughs) So how, what is it like to fit in in D.C.? And is there this culture of conformity here? And like how? There is. So I refuse to wear the D.C. uniform. (laughs) Now, I can. You know, if I need to, to, to fit in somewhere, I will. I will put on my pearls. And I have pearls anyway because I'm a sorority girl. But I, you know, I'll put on my pearls. I'll put on my heels and my little cardigan sweater set or whatever the fuck people be wearing. And I do it, you know. I'm lucky enough, or I am, I am, I am privileged enough, I would say, because I think it is a privilege to not have to do that so much anymore. Uh huh. Um, but I've done it, you and know, and you do it because I'm already going to stand out. I am dark skinned. I am fat, <laughs> you know. I have, and that's not to say that's not a bad thing. It's just a descriptor. Um, I have short hair, you know, I'm a loud talker and I'm already, you're already going to see me anyway. So if I'm in a room where I think the Ann Taylor bots are going to be there, I will sometimes just dress the part, but not act the part. You know, people are going to have shit to say whether I, you know, whether I wear the pearls or not. So I may as well be myself. I think I, I personally, I have to believe that I belong in the room. I have to believe that I am, am good at what I do. I have to believe that because otherwise for me personally, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, What I will say this is this, and that is, um, uh, you know, I've learned pretty much how to be happy, how to be, you know, but I'm not always satisfied. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's okay to want more, you know, it's okay to think, all right, I did this pretty good this time, but next time I'm going to learn how to do this, mm-hmm. you know, which is not quite the same as thinking, okay, I kind of believe I'm not good enough. It's not, that's not quite what I'm saying. I'm saying, okay, what are the ways in which I can make I, this better? I can make this a little bit better. Um, what does the possibility model look like for me? And then how do I find that? Okay, I've, like, you're sitting in a room right now with three white chicks. Mm -hmm. Like, do you feel in this situation right now and out in the world and other Mm -hmm. situations that you're expected by white people to speak for all black people? Yes. (laughs) What the fuck? Like, what does that feel like? Girl, okay, so one thing I heard a lot of growing up in particular, there was always this white girl. It was always a white girl, too. There was this white girl who would come. It would just be just anybody. You know, they come up to you and say, I have a question for you. Like, all solemn. And I'm like, girl, what? What is it? What question do you have for me? Um, do you prefer black or African-American? And I'm like, neither one are derogatory. So what are you really asking? I mean, I always say, like, I, I actually do prefer black American. It, it, it better describes my experience in this country. Um, I do not mind African American. If you call me African American, cool. But I often feel like African American is coded. Like, it, you know, uh, like African American. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so like you see with 45, he'll say like, oh, these are my favorite African Americans. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. no, are you actually doing this so that you do not slip and call them the N-word? Is that what you're doing? So it's like, it feels a little more icky for me when, when depending on who says it and how. But again, I didn't really know those nuances back then. I was just like, what do you mean? I'm black. Like, why are you even asking this question? Like, it's, 
it, it's so like like your life depends on it. Like, come on now. Um, I do often. Uh, so the other thing I get asked is um, that I would when I was in college didn't really. I actually didn't really have a lot of interactions with black people, with white people on on campus because, um, and that was by by design. Considering that I went to all white schools from fourth grade to 12th grade, I really wasn't feeling it for y'all. I just was not, I did not have any energy for that. So, you know, I helped build the black community on my campus. I became vice president of Black Student Union. I joined an African-American, historically black, not African-American, historically black uh, sorority um, from the uh, the NPHC, which is the Neo-Panhellenic Council, which is all of the historically black uh, fraternities and sororities. I'm a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Um, I, was a cha- I was a chapter president <laughs> and helped chart another chapter on my campus. And then I started the Black Women's Forum. So, you know, I really did find my own, I created my own Wakanda <laughs> at GW, at George Washington, where I went. So I really didn't have as much, outside of classes, I really didn't have as much uh, interactions with white folks um, by design, by choice. Um, but my freshman year of college, my roommate, who was a very wonderful woman, she was great, um, her boyfriend would come to town and he'd have all these like questions, you know, about like what it's like living in the hood and all this. So I'd have all these like um, ideas about what living in a hood neighborhood, in a, a bad neighborhood, which is always means a black neighborhood was like. And one day I told him about himself. I'm like, you know, you're making a lot of assumptions about me and about what you think I know. Meanwhile, you don't know shit, you know, and you're sitting here saying these things and I really feel like you need to check your privilege. And then I'm going on to class because I don't have time. I'm not here to educate you unless you're going to put something in my cash app. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and educate you for free. I just told someone that today. Like, I'm not going to educate you about the way the systemic racism um, affects black youth before noon on a Friday. I'm not going to do it. Not for free. No. So, you know, I did not have, I, like, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing this with you. And I told my, my roommate, you need to have a conversation with your, with, with your boyfriend because I'm not doing it. What she said? Um, she did. She did have a conversation with him. She said they were yelling at each other for an hour, you know. Um, and they, I don't think they lasted long. <laughs> She's dope. She's really, yeah, she was a great, 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 great roommate. So Lauren was fascinating. She was also really intimidating. Um, I remember sitting there in the WeWork in D.C. interviewing her and just feeling a little bit like, damn, this is a powerful woman who has like some, you know, really strong opinions about some really intense issues, many of which I have no relationship to. I mean, when it comes down to race, it's just like, I'm a white girl sitting there interviewing a black woman who has these really intense stories from childhood and and growing up and kind of like just what it's like to navigate the world as, as a black woman. And it's really hard. And she's talking, she's also speaking to the fact that like she doesn't have time to educate people who are trying to perhaps understand what she's dealing with better. And so I immediately felt like, oh shit, am I one of those white chicks? <laughs> you know, it was it was interesting for me to kind of like navigate that and it brought up a lot of like kind of uncomfortable feelings, which I think is 
a lot of what's going on in America right now when it comes down to race, at least for people who are thoughtful about it and and care. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, this isn't, um, obviously there's tons of black folks who live in rural areas, but I think that, you know, especially in the area where you're living, uh, where I'm living, I mean, Maine is an extremely white state, you know, overall outside yeah. of like the one urban center. And it is, uh, it is an interesting place to be. So how, like, how do you understand um, racism in this country from other perspectives if you, you know, don't... Don't interact with that. Yeah. And like, how, how do white people respectfully um, try to relate? Or how, how do white people respectfully, you know, question what what's correct or what's most comfortable for someone that they genuinely care about, right. you know, whose feelings they genuinely care about. It is, uh, and yeah, I see it from her perspective too, where she's like, Jesus Christ, I've been dealing with this shit my whole life. Like I have all these traumatic stories from childhood where I've been navigating this bullshit right. and I really don't have time or, or care to, uh, put any more energy towards like helping you out, sister. Right. <laughs> I get it. I mean, the, the thing that I could sort of if I was trying to like imagine what that felt like or if there was anything at all in my life, um, in my extremely privileged white life that I could relate to, it just definitely would have to do with gender and like a certain kind of um, sexism or misogyny or other behaviors that I've encountered um, with men before where I would feel like, you know what, I don't even like care to interact with you. Because I sure, yeah, I don't have the time to tell you about what it's like for me mm-hmm. because I know you're not going to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's you know a lot of my feelings around me too, which I've I've brought up before. You know, in the season is, um, it is really important because men really don't have any idea what it's like, and it's not because it's not necessarily because they don't care what it's like. It's because they just don't have the same experience. So how could they know? So it's important to. It's important to also, though, like to some extent, at least part of this has to include the not like holding that knowledge that that men don't get it. And so you can't be pissed off at somebody for something they don't understand when there's no way they could understand. It's like expecting a kid to understand a complicated topic or you know what I mean? There's there there is a certain amount of understanding that still has to be held. And some women are like, fuck that. I'm done understanding And that's, it's a similar dynamic here with like the race issue. Well, it's interesting because I think that the, the fuck that feeling comes when someone who is like the victim of an ism or an inequality in power, you know, whether it's, um, institutionalized racism or sexism, that the victim, the, the onus is on the victim to somehow educate the other people in power that are in some ways making their lives worse. And so that's kind of like the thing where people are like, no, I don't feel like it's my job to do this when I'm the one who has to deal with this and you have more power than I do. Okay, so maybe this is where, you know, the media comes in and sort of serves a real purpose because those voices and that story and and those points of understanding perhaps can exist there. You know, just through profiles yes. and storytelling. And- yes. I wanted to bring this up, actually, because um, I want to say two weeks ago, I saw this picture on Instagram, and it was someone wearing a T-shirt that said, 
you were brainwashed into thinking European features are the epitome of beauty. And I was really, it just has like been haunting me. And I've been thinking about all the different ways that I've been brainwashed to think that or to think any number of things that favor one kind of person over another. And so I don't know. That's just like an example of what you're saying where these this like messaging that can exist either on social media or in the media through storytelling or even this simple t-shirt, um, you know, Thankfully, the dialogue is expanding, and I think people are definitely evolving in all different kinds of ways around these things. And in you know some ways um, that feel uncomfortable, but in a good way. I well, think. and and okay, and so part of transition too is like regression, right? I mean, think about being a a mom <clears throat> when you're a new mom and your kids like you know start finally sleeping let's say, but then they have a couple nights where they just don't fucking sleep at all. And you're pulling your hair out and you're like, oh my God, has all that progress gone out the window? And then boom, a couple nights later, like they're sleeping through the night and you're like, oh, phew, (laughs) you know, like it, it did change. And so I don't know, maybe there's some of that where like, yeah, it is really uncomfortable and really annoying to have to parse some of the stuff out. And yet at the same time, it's just part of like getting over the hump. You know, maybe there is more light at the end of the tunnel than we feel like there is. But one thing that I do really want to mention is the Ann Taylor bot dynamic where, um, you know, she's like, I refuse to wear the DC uniform. And this Ann Taylor bot you know, sort of quote is something that came up a lot, like amongst my staff. And it's something that I found to be really true. Like there is a DC uniform and especially for women. um, But I mean, just as much as men, I'd say, but you know, there's a little bit more um, maybe charge around the, the women because, you know, you're not supposed to show your shoulders in DC and you're not, you know, you're supposed to always have a jacket on when you're on the house floor. And like, there's just a little bit, um, it seems like there's more hoops for women to jump through. And <clears throat> and I think this is not particular to DC. I think this is for women, professional women across the board. And so we put a, a post about that up on social media, if you remember. And some a woman was outraged that we used the term Ann Taylor bots because she felt like it was derogatory towards women. And, you know, it made me think a lot. I was like, okay, um, I totally agreed with her, but I didn't think that that was the um, the tone of the post. The post was really more about it was sympathizing with with women who are expected to dress a certain way, and then also sympathizing with people who are coming into a culture of of people or women or whomever that have to dress a certain way in order to pass and in order to fit in. And if you're not of perhaps said European, um, you know, figure, then it's harder to make that kind of uniform work. It's And it's expensive and it just presents all of these challenges. So as a black woman entering the world of DC politics, not only are you already standing out because of the color of your skin and perhaps because of your gender, but also you're expected to like fit into this uniform in order to be accepted as a woman, period. And the uniform is a really white uniform. It, Very it's well. not like <laughs> reflecting the culture and um, fashion of, you know, other groups in our country or world. Totally. So totally. That's like another whole thing. So you're kind of like in a costume. I mean, I guess like any kind of professional wear is sort of a costume. Um, one thing I was also thinking about, 
and just sort of like questioning my own assumptions about things. And uh, let's see, I know that I've been talking about like the American mythos, mythos and we've been discussing like how to visually sort of start redefining what Americana is. Mm-hmm. And you know, Lauren's from California and I was thinking, okay, when I hear like California girl, what do I picture in my mind? And I picture a blonde surfer. And that was just like another thing along with what I said before about this brainwashing that I was like, oh, this is just so messed up <laughs> that like- Yeah, like I wonder what Lauren pictures when she said I when she know, was California girl. I know. It would have been a great question. I know. I mean, but what I loved about her and what I, what I love about her is that she is unapologetically herself. And I don't think, you know, she was very- you know, it, she admitted that she wasn't born this way, perhaps, that she had a lot of struggles around this, but she's come to a place where she embraces herself and accepts herself and is, you know, is allowed to be angry and is allowed in the room and does feel like she belongs, even though she's still striving to do better, you know, and improve upon her skills. And her comment about, you know, her willingness to dress the part, but not necessarily act the part, I thought that was badass. You know, it's like, okay, there's also a level of sort of respect, perhaps, you know, where you're like, okay, I'm in the government. I am in this kind of like Southern genteel town. I will dress in a professional manner and present myself this way because that's how this works. That's how this world works. However, I'm still going to fucking be myself and I'm still going to say my piece and I'm still going to strive to, you know, progress past these ideals that certainly do leave a lot of room for for progress. I also really liked how she <laughs> kind of was describing how she takes offense to being called bubbly because I think that women get this a lot in general. Like they're supposed to be pleasing in some way. And I think for her as a black woman, like, you know, there's probably in this in this very white environment and tribe, so to speak, um, there's double pressure for her, someone like her to be pleasing to others. And she's totally pushing against that because it's so fucked up and unfair. And um, I was really glad she said that just because I know um, a lot of women in general that, you know, people don't like it when women get angry. Um, people don't like it when women are not pleasing to them. And, um you know, there's kind of like a limited scope of behavior and sort of demeanor that you can have as a woman professionally. Yeah. And then you add on top of that a black woman. Right. Who's who's not like a slight, you know, I'll just stand in the corner black woman. Like she is a, a, a large, proud woman who is not necessarily always, you know, showing up and looking the way that you want that woman in the, you know, DC office to look. And so there's just this whole extra layer. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot and, um, we did talk about me too with Lauren for a minute. If I like recall, you know, if I go back to that interview and it's not in this clip, but she talks about, you know, for, for black women, me too is even more complicated because for decades, you know, they weren't supposed to say anything about their black male aggressors because a bunch of black men were already unjustly being put in jail. And so they didn't want any more black men going to jail. So they were then like almost, um, you know, going against their own tribe, like their own black tribe 
by saying that, you know, by accusing someone who did something wrong to them for doing what they did. And I just, I don't know, like I just, black women in this country have just uh, this whole other level of, of like horror to navigate. And it, I don't know. I think it's, it is something that a bunch of white people don't talk about that often. You don't hear about it on TV all the time, you know? Well, that's kind of what I was getting at before with the California thing. I think that part of this project that is going to be like help me evolve as a person, but also hopefully, um, you know, for people that are tuning in, I think that if we can start to sort of like redefine some of this brainwashing of like what America looks like and what images are, you know, what is Americana? Truly representative yeah. Yeah, of different parts of the country. Yeah. yeah. And our collective experience, tribes and all. Right. Because we talked about this, you know, even like with our imagery on our website and social media, like using the truck, which like, again, my my brainwashing is like, there's a, there's a guy driving that truck and he probably, he may like own and shoot a gun or he may do an, any of these things, but it's like a white guy. And that is like certainly part of... Americana that I think needs to be included because it does represent some of America, but then there's so much more that really makes us the colorful and complicated um, country that we are, you know, and like just starting to like see those things more often, especially paired together, um, I think is, is really powerful. Her comment about that grocery store, Gelson's grocery store, and when she was, you know, in this new kind of situation for her, a very white situation uh, where she already knew that she was kind of different and she sees this like fancy grocery store that she'd never seen before. And her her go-to assumption was that that wasn't a place for, for black people. And I think that that is like part of a much broader thing that we do as humans where we see something that we don't know or recognize or understand fully and we just assume it's not for us and that it's like part of the other. And I don't know, I just wanted to bring that theme up because I think that especially when we start to talk about race, it's really easy to kind of get into the weeds of and and sort of like the political correctness of all of the, it's a tricky thing to navigate, but really there's so much going on in the race, like the racial conversation that has to do with just like any tribal and just like human issues. So like, is there a way to broaden this and have someone be like, okay, yeah, I've heard this black white conversation before, but how do I relate to it? You know, like I, but if I think of her as a little girl seeing something she'd never seen before because she was in a new environment and being like, oh, that's clear. Like I'm not allowed in there. Um, Can we like zoom out on that and kind of connect that to like something perhaps you or I experienced as a little girl? I was going to ask you that question. Yeah. Can you think of like environments where you were either the only one like yourself and you felt kind of out of place or where you saw some uh, an environment that you didn't feel like you belonged in? Well, I guess I remember this because um, like I don't think that I have one specific story that I can tell. So it's not something that sticks out in my memory as poignantly as, you know, this encounter for Lauren, but I would definitely relate it to like the world of like, horses where it was just, it was just a white, rich chick land, you know, and I came from more of like, 
uh, cowgirl country <laughs> and, you know, grew up like barrel racing and stuff. But at a certain point started doing like jumping and doing this show jumping thing and through just kind of a series of like lucky encounters ended up riding with, you know, the Olympic coach. And so during that process, there was this moment where I got plucked out of like my sort of backwoods scenario and plopped into this world where everyone's in their tailored sportsman's britches and their, you know, uh, custom fit leather boots and their $30,000, you know, saddles with their $200,000 horses. And it was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, I just, I like to jump and yet I don't know how to navigate this. Like, am I supposed to, like, I don't, I, I didn't show up at these places with like my little um, golf cart. Like everyone had a golf cart and a little little yappy dog and and like all of the like these special shiny belts. And there were all of these like accoutrements that you were supposed to have if you were part of that world. And I remember being like, this is not for me. But I could ride so I could hang. But that ended at some point. You know, at some point I was like, I actually can't hang here. Like I hate this. It makes me feel like shit about myself and I I can't afford it. And I tapped out. So I don't know. I mean, that even just saying out loud makes me feel really privileged because I even had access to that kind of a world. But at the same time, like that, that was how I felt. I felt like an outcast. I never felt like I could quite like hang. It's weird because there's like the privilege that you were there to begin with, but then like there was this other echelon. Totally. The next level. Yeah. And which I think, I think is more similar. Like if I think about it, you know, Lauren was at this like kind of, privileged school. Like she can't remember if she had a scholarship to it or not, you know, but she somehow ended up in this awesome school because she had the talent to be there, you know, and yet being there, she wasn't quite sure if she was supposed to be there. So it's a very similar dynamic where you, you get access to something and then you have to navigate what it means to be part of it. Yeah. I mean, for myself, the, the, the most sort of prominent example I could think of is I feel like weird even talking about it because it's not, it doesn't feel comparable to me, even though it is kind of, um, an instance of me feeling like I wasn't part of something or just being in the minority is basically when I studied abroad and was in a third world country as like a minority white person. But the messed up thing was that like it was it was still it wasn't like I was in the minority and I lacked power. I actually had all this privilege and power to be in that environment. And they were brainwashed in the same way to think that someone with European features was somehow like more beautiful or more something. And so like as an American <clears throat> white girl, I was like not in a bad position you know, even though I was in the minority, even though I felt like totally uncomfortable a lot of times. I mean, I really wanted to be there and I loved my experience there. At the same time, I was just like really aware of how different I was and how different my situation was than the people I was living with um, throughout that experience. Okay. So this is kind of interesting because if I'm trying to like empathize with how you must have felt in that situation, two things come up, which is first that you felt it was very obvious that you had this privilege, which is uncomfortable. So you're already uncomfortable with the fact that like, you know, there's some kind of fucked up dynamic there. And also I can imagine like as a white girl, kind of, you're pretty solo on that trip if I yeah, remember, yeah. right? Yeah. You also must've felt 
vulnerable to some extent, like being of, you know, blonde, beautiful European (laughs) features and attracting a lot of attention to yourself. Like, did you ever feel compromised because of? Yes. And I, I, I actually was, I mean, I experienced some really messed up stuff and, um, you know, domestic abuse that was like connected to my presence in the home. Um, and, uh, you know, like actually saw this woman get the shit kicked out of her um, because she had like whispered to her boyfriend that he was looking at me. And I mean, I just like really stood out. And this was with my host family's extended family. And it was horrible. It was so, it was so horrible. I mean, he, he beat her up right in front of me. She had, her little baby was sleeping in like the next room. And um, it was, it was just horrible. And and then after that, one of the other cousins went on to like sort of <clears throat> sexually molest me or assault me in some way. And I was too scared to tell him to stop because he had been there too. And he was like consoling me and being like, not cause I, I didn't mean like to be consoled, but he was like, oh, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's fine. Like he was my friend. And then later totally took advantage of me. And at that point I was so fucking scared of everyone. (laughs) And I was like, am I going to get the shit kicked out of me? And I didn't know what to do. And it was just like, really, I mean, it was horrible. I mean, that's horrifying. And and like, I think that a lot of times though, it's hard to even like have these conversations because you're like, oh, well, I'm in a position of privilege, so I'm not going to talk about what happened to me. And that's fucked up too. And and like, I still get that like, that doesn't equal a lifetime of being, you know, dealing with racism, like being a black person in America and, and dealing with so many of the things that, that happen to you when you're in that situation. However, if we are going to try to kind of like relate to each other, it's important to, to show that side too. And to be like, okay, it's it's just another side of the same coin, right? It's just the same it's the same issue. It's just like another facet of that problem. And, you know, can we get to a place where we can be like, you know what? I might not I might not take the time to educate you on like what it's like to be me in the world, but I will take the time to have a conversation with you about how complicated this all really is. And I think Lauren was will, willing to do that. She totally was. She was so awesome. Yeah. I mean, she was so awesome. There was one thing that she said that aside from, you know, all the topics that we're talking about now that came up when we talked to her, just human to human. um, One thing she said when she was sort of musing about her own process and um, who she is, she said, she asks herself, what does a possibility model look like for me? And how do I access that? And as I was listening back to this last night, I, that was like exactly the thing I needed to hear because I was feeling really beside myself and I've had like no sleep because of the the baby and was feeling like really angry at everyone for no reason. And, um, she was just such an, I found her to be an inspirational person. Um, and thinking about like, sometimes you do need a reminder to think about what's possible and, how to like call that into yourself. And, um, that's like a really great place to live from. So thank you, Lauren. (laughs) Yeah, Lauren. I mean, huge props. You know, this woman is clearly powerful and, uh, really thoughtful and has had to navigate 
a bunch of situations that, um, I don't know, it would have been easy to throw in the towel for me, you know? And so I think that um, this idea of like belonging in the room, and I love how she spoke to that, and I love her stories about, um, you know, just what it was like to, to kind of get through some of these jobs that she's had while she's been in D.C., and that's like my big takeaway. Like, yeah, you know, not every situation we find ourselves in is comfortable, but we can remind ourselves that like we do belong here and we're all kind of part of this room. And so like, what is the possibility model of making this all work? All right, folks, that's a wrap for this week. We hope you liked getting up close and personal with Lauren. Stay tuned for another up close and personal episode next week with yet another not to be missed DC insider. Until then, try not to die from curiosity, America. This episode was produced by Katie Wilson and myself with editing and sound design by Ian Carlson and mix master by Chris Burns. Theme music is America by artist Bill Callahan with This Land is Your Land rendition by me. More information about this podcast, including additional episodes, can be found at www.the-multiverse.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, well, okay. <laughs>